John Paul II gave me when I spoke with him in 1993, good people. <laughs> Speaking to the members of the Rome Life Forum with whom I have spent two days, two wonderful days, more than a hundred of you from most, <laughs> many, many, many countries, dozens of different countries. It has been an honor and a pleasure and unworthy though I am to serve with you in this movement for Christ and for his gift of the family. You are such good people, I'm willing to hand you my life. And because I'm willing to do that, I'm so happy that my daughter was here, my eldest daughter was here, to experience the goodness that you are. That goodness for you leaders of life and family has been sorely tested these last, this last year, these last couple of years. Around the world, we have often been confronted, even in the church, in our various nations, sometimes with a lack of support from those who we thought would naturally be not only our closest allies, but the leaders whom we could follow. We had, in the words of the beloved words of John Paul II in, in um, the Gospel of Life, that the right to life should be courageously and constantly promoted. We had the words of Pope Benedict that taught us that the primary goal of the Catholic laity is to speak in the public square, the truths on the uh, non-negotiable issues of life, of family, and the, that parents are the primary educators of children. When in our own countries, the hierarchy sometimes did not agree, did not support, we felt unsupported by, we had Rome at our backs. But since the confusion that came with the Synod, that support seems to have left. And it's not just the Synod. There is a lack of clarity in communications even from the offices here that require that clarification so we can understand what is happening. And I'll give you a very powerful example. The Holy Father, made a beautiful gesture, which was, in all likelihood, a call to repentance. But when asked for a clarification, we were not told it was a call to repentance. What happened was a year ago, almost a year ago today, there was a mass celebrated in Casa Santa Marta with a priest, uh, Michel de Paulus, here in Italy, 
who is quite well known. He's well known because he started a pro-gay organization. He's well known because he's a huge dissenter on the matters of life and family, and particularly on the subject of homosexuality, where he has not only gone contrary to the church in minor ways, but very specifically stated the wrongness of the church's teaching on the fact that the sexual actions between two men and two women are impermissible. He's even gone to say, on to say that the church teaching will change and we must be patient. Now in the Mass, there was a, a concelebrated Mass, and after the Mass, the Holy Father kissed Father de Paulus' hand. And it was a gesture that we could see that saints have done with sinners and those who need repentance. And our Lord was himself criticized by the Pharisees for eating with sinners and tax collectors. And yet, what did he respond? In Luke chapter 5, we have his own account. He said, I did not come for the just, but for sinners. But he added, to call them to repentance. And I have heard so many times, aren't you being like the Pharisees because you are pointing this out. The problem with the communication, the miscommunication, the failure to communicate that this was about repentance. And I say no, because had that communication happened, had that clarification been made publicly, all of us in this room would have heard about this incident and rejoiced with tears of joy. Because the truth is, we all love sinners because, especially in my case, I was in grave sin. I was destined and bound for hell. But I was called to repentance. We have to fix the communications error, the need to show the beauty. Pope Francis, when he came in as Pope, came in with a big media splash of being the Pope who kissed the feet of AIDS patients. What an amazing image that should have been and was. If it was used properly to communicate the truth, what's the truth? The truth is we see in those men and women who are suffering with a disease that is so linked to a behavior which is condemned by the church, not out of any kind of hatred, but out of mercy. The church and Christ in his love for men and women with same-sex attraction, the church will accept the pejorative label, the false label of hater and bigot in order to have mercy and love. Because it communicates to those who are in a lifestyle that is so harmful to them, we care about you enough to tell you that this harms your bodies and harms your soul.
And even if they don't agree with us, at least those on the other side, as it were, can see we're coming at this from an altruistic perspective. And what better thing to kiss the feet of AIDS patients and say, I love you. And yet at the same time, the witness of Pope Francis in Buenos Aires was about opposing same-sex marriage with vehement language. Yet against the backdrop of his kissing the feet of eight patients, there is an opportunity to show love. We need to be able to make those kinds of clear communications that will show, that will demonstrate to the world the clarity of the love and mercy that we are coming from. But the Synod has not done that clarification. In fact, there's massive confusion. And thanks be to God and the interventions of at least two of our guests and their African brothers, there was at least some resurgence of sanity because it was insane what was going on from the midterm or Lazio on. It was mayhem. It was like an atom bomb had gone off. And there is still the need for clarity. Things have been misinterpreted by the media everywhere. Pope Francis's comment, who am I to judge, misinterpreted in the first place to be about one thing when it was about another, has been used all over the world. Most demonstrations in favor of gay marriage have a poster. It's on t-shirts. It needs to be clarified. The media doesn't help at all because the media is on the other side and uses the Pope's words to bash Catholic activists in America and all over the West. The clarity we need is so important and still needs to be done. We have sometimes been shocked by things that we have heard. The, the pro-life movement has been told that we've had, we can't talk about the issues of abortion, same-sex marriage, and contraception all the time. But many then wondered, where is this happening? Because in most of our countries in the West, we've had a virtual silence from the pulpits on these issues. And we've had that virtual silence be a torture for most of us. And that virtual silence is accompanied by a shouting from every secular pulpit, magazine, book, and screen of the gospel, I should say, of the anti-gospel of hedonism and sexual aberration called liberation. That gospel, that anti-gospel, is promoted all throughout the world. It is promoted as a new religion that does not allow for dissent. And it is becoming increasingly, as John Paul II and his successor predicted it would be, a tyranny. 
in my own country of Canada where we passed same-sex marriage in 2005. Many of the people assume once same-sex marriage was in, there could finally be cultural peace. The LGBT movement would have achieved what they wanted and we could have peace. But there was no peace. There was an increased attack on parental rights and on religious freedom. Because that movement is tyrannical and it does not allow for dissent. It is a new orthodoxy that demands absolute and total submission. Because they believe it akin to racism, they are willing to stomp it out in one generation. Already in Canada and throughout many parts of the United States, parents are forbidden from exempting their children from classes which teach the equality of all families. In, my, in the province of Quebec, one province over from where I live in Ontario, the law was passed to have such equality education be taught not only in the public schools, but also in the Catholic schools. And not only in the Catholic publicly funded schools, but also in the private schools. And not only in the private schools, but also in homeschooling. So much so that we have a refugee family in my province of Ontario who fled from Quebec because they didn't want to educate their seven children in that type of education. We are dealing with an encroaching hampering of religious freedom through this very means of the religion, if you will, uh, and this push on gender ideology. We have today, and I must tell you, I, I was born in 1970, so I, I wasn't there for what I'm going to describe, but I've heard from many of you and the beautiful historians who we read of the confusion in the church around the promulgation of humanity and the years leading up to it. That confusion engendered because there was ambiguity at the time. There was wondering. You had cardinals in the church submitting reports that we should change the teaching. And of course, a couple of years later, we finally had clarity in the beautiful encyclical Humani Vitae. But yet, that very delay, that very ambiguity, that very wondering what was going on, resulted in what we see still today. The majority of Catholic couples, Catholic women, practicing artificial birth control. And so that same confusion plays out today in the attitude of Catholics towards same-sex marriage. I have been blessed to travel much of the world and go and speak to Catholic youth. I had a great opportunity a couple of years ago to go to New Zealand and speak in Catholic schools, Catholic high schools, to grade 12 students. And I was told by many, many teachers there, on average, it's 50 to 1 of Catholic students in the final year of schooling against the teaching of the church on same-sex marriage. There is a confusion in the church very much akin to that which happened 
with Humana Vitae. What has come of this failure? Failure to teach about contraception, against contraception for openness in life. Failure to teach about the problems of in vitro fertilization and the solution of natural family planning. Failure to teach about homosexual acts and the need for chastity. And failure to teach about immodesty and the need for custody of the eyes. Has that failure, based on maybe a want to be pastoral, or perhaps just convenience, or to be politically incorrect, has that failure resulted in a cultural peace? It hasn't. The failure to preach against contraception has resulted in the abortion holocaust. The failure to teach about immodesty and custody of AIs has led to a near universal addiction to pornography. The failure to teach about the harms and wrongs of in vitro fertilization has given us, in, has given us embryonic stem cell research and cloning. And the failure to teach the errors of homosexual sex have led to same-sex marriage and the, one of the greatest repressions of religious freedom that we have seen to date. As we heard in today's reading, in the extraordinary form, there was a beautiful quote which startled me this morning at Mass. The very first reading today was, my, was already in my notes, was uh, St. Paul talking to Bishop Timothy talking about a time that would come when people would have itching ears and not want to hear the truth and wanting to heed to themselves teachers of what they want to hear. And St. Paul's words to Timothy are so charged with emotion. I charge thee before Jesus Christ, he said, to preach the truth in season and out of season. We had this admonition in the church from 1986 in the CDF letter by Cardinal Ratzinger, of course, who was to become Pope Benedict. You had the letter to the bishops of the Catholic Church about homosexual persons. And in there, the church, in her wisdom, forbade silence on the immorality of homosexual acts. And why did it forbid silence? Remember, this was a pastoral document on the pastoral care of homosexual persons that forbade silence, of course, forbade going against the teaching, obviously, but forbade silence. Because it forbade silence in the interest of pastoral care because it said silence is neither caring nor pastoral because it denies homosexual men and women the care they need and deserve. You have this not only from St. Paul to Timothy, not only from the Vatican's document, you have this also from atheists themselves and from those who are even in the LGBT community, as it were. 
Canada, as I said, passed same-sex marriage in 2005. There was a homosexual activist, a, a LGBT leader who was the head of the Rainbow Coalition in Canada, and he went to the government a few years after the passage of our same-sex marriage legislation to demand extra health care dollars for the LGBT community. And he said that the health risks, or that he said, in fact, the health of the queer community in, in Canada was extremely bad. His, he talked about how anal cancer was rampant in the gay male community, how breast cancer was rampant in the lesbian community. And then he said, many of the deaths that occur in our community are hidden. We don't see them, but those of us who are on the front lines see them. And I'm tired of watching my community die. We have this admonition to speak the truth clearly on these issues from the scriptures themselves, from the Vatican itself, and even from the LGBT community, proving to us and hopefully to themselves, this behavior harms the body. And we know as Catholics and Christians that it harms the soul. What does all this mean? In Proverbs 13, 24, we're told, and especially people like myself, a father of eight children, are told, he who spares the rod of discipline hates his child. But when you discipline them, you love them. We're told in Hosea, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And he was speaking to the religious hierarchy at the time. Our Lord condemning them for not giving the truth to the people of God. And also we had this warning from Our Lady of Fatima, who said, more souls go to hell because of sins of the flesh than for any other reason. But once again, the warnings on this being a matter of hate and true love, being to express the truth, especially of the spiritual realities, come not only from the scriptures, not only from uh, private revelation with Our Lady, they come from the atheists as well. One of the most famous atheists in the United States, Penn Jillette, had a television show where he did more bashing of the Catholic Church than anything else. And Penn Jillette, said in 2008 a quote that I carry on my phone with me. It is so very powerful. He spoke of... Just one second, I've got to find it. There we go. So, Pendulette said, if you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them that because it would make it socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? These words from this atheist, from this 
real hater of the church, it seems, should convict all of us, but more importantly, our spiritual fathers in the faith, to preach in mercy the truth, this beautiful truth. Why is the church withholding in her treasure house the treasures of the church? And I don't mean the gold and the art that's in the museum over here. The true treasures are the teachings that bring us eternal salvation. We need to look out for poverty. We agree. But it was Mother Teresa herself who said, it was the greatest one who cared for the poor who said, at least in recent times, when she was asked in an interview, why are you sending nuns to the United States? You have poverty there, not over here. And she said, Our, your poverty there is much greater there, because there you have a spiritual poverty, as opposed to our physical poverty. In conclusion, I would like to beg, on behalf of my own children, my own eight children, on behalf of the thousands of children that are represented here in this room, where I'd say the average number of children we have is probably over five, and then grandchildren over 15. But on behalf of our children, I would beg the fathers of the church to speak these truths, to speak them in love, and charity, caritas in veritate, because these truths are needed now more than ever before. The future of the church depends on this, and that's not really my estimation, because 18 days before he was made pope, one day prior to John Paul II's death, Cardinal Ratzinger said, very soon it will not be possible to state publicly that the homosexuality is a disorder. That's an approximation, something exactly like that. And so today we are restricted. We, we have this lack of speaking about these issues. And yet all we face today is the, call, the label of hater, the label of politically incorrect, the disdain of the world, and sometimes the loss of prestige. We have it excused under pastoral considerations or prudential considerations. And so we often don't hear these truths. The treasures, the real treasure of the church remains locked up. Yet if we're unwilling to speak these truths today, what about tomorrow when those penalties will increase to loss of job, to loss of freedom in prison, and perhaps even to martyrdom. Please, O oh fathers of the church, speak the truths in love and in charity for the sake of our children. Thank you.